0: What does it mean to be provided for? To have food on the table? Good company by your side? Perhaps the ability to depend on and lean into someone else, to let down one's guard and to be held and helped, cherished but challenged? We see story after story throughout Scripture of God's provision, meeting people where they are, and changing everything. But those glimpses those change-everything-about-everything moments that knowing Jesus unlocks, they are woven into our stories too. Threaded when in distress, we must desperately depend on God. Bound in those crucibles that require our mindful commitment to boldly believe the real food and nourishment offered us is indeed better than anything else. Thankfully, Our good God gave us generously His Spirit to help with the realignment process, to throw out our resource roadmap in exchange for His. So what does provision look like in our lives? Friend, you are in for a treat.
1: Welcome, everybody, to Season 4. I'm glad you're with us this weekend. As you know, we're in this great big series all year that is called From Head to Leb, From the Mind to the Heart. That's what the Hebrew word Leb means. We're exploring the Gospel of John, written by John, and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what John brings to us that's unique is that John not only wants us to know Jesus with our mind, he wants us to know the Lord with our hearts as well. So we're looking at how to know God in a very holistic and complete way. We've been through several seasons. This season, for the next five messages, we're going to be looking at God's provisions for you and for me. And it's exciting to see all that God has provided for us that we sometimes are either unaware of or we ignore. So I hope this is going to be encouraging to you. I hope it's going to build up your faith and bring hope to you in this world that we live in right now that just, I don't know, feels so hopeless. So here we go. What we're going to do is, in this season, we're going to talk about provisions. And in this first episode, I want to talk about the provision of faith. Now, faith is a word that those of us who are followers of Christ throw around a lot. I'm not always sure we understand what we mean when we say faith. So let's explore that a little bit together. You see, faith it is kind of like oxygen is to our bodies. Oh, I'm so glad there's oxygen. I love that feeling of my lungs filling up. I can't live without it. And the same thing is true about faith. Without faith, we cannot have a relationship with God. And without faith, we cannot overcome the obstacles that we face in our lives with a sense of victory and hope on the other side. Jesus demanded faith from his followers. One of my favorite stories is in Mark chapter 4. The disciples and Jesus are out on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus, who is exhausted, is fast asleep in the hull of the boat, and suddenly the storm whips up the sea. The wind is blowing, the waves are rolling, and the disciples, some of them were veterans of the sea, had this sense that this was the storm of all storms and that they were going to be capsized and die. So frantically, they run in and they wake Jesus up. Don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus gets up, and he rebukes the wind, and it just stops, just like that. And he tells the waves to be silent, and suddenly the water is flat. And while the disciples must have just stood or sat there with their jaws hanging open, Jesus looks at them, and he says to them, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? (laughs) In other words, don't you have faith in me yet? Or if you go over to the next chapter, there's a a story about this uh, religious leader. Uh, He oversaw the synagogue, and he had a, a, a little daughter who was dying. And he begs Jesus, please, please, please come and heal my little daughter. Well, while Jesus is on the way, he gets delayed. You can read the chapter yourself there in Mark 5. And eventually he shows up, but the people come out and they tell Jairus that his little daughter is dead and not to bother the teacher. Well, Jesus overhears this, and he says to Jairus, he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. How is your faith these days? I think all of us have experienced some kind of a, a shaking in our faith—the uh, pandemic, all the social upheaval, all the stuff that's going around us—and then you know you add to that your own personal issues. You know, maybe your kids are kind of struggling right now, or or your spouse is, or your friends are. There's just stuff going on in your life. Maybe it's your health, and and you feel kind of like your faith's been shaken a little bit. It's it's been rocked a little bit. What is faith? You know, one way to ask that question is to ask somebody who doesn't believe in the faith, like, like, an, like an atheist. If you were to ask an atheist, um, you know, what is faith? You know, uh, something we oftentimes will hear people say is, well, <laughs> faith, faith is nothing more than just a crutch. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Religion is just a crutch. I came across a couple of quotes. thought the first one might be interesting to Minnesotans. This comes from a former governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura, who said, Organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. All right? Well, that's the former governor. All right? How about Richard Dawkins, the atheist scientist? He says this. He says, Religion is a crutch for those who are afraid of—listen to this— blinking out of existence after death i like his choice of words I mean, it's pretty dramatic blinking out of existence after death so i have to conjure up this life after death i have to conjure up god and put my faith in god and or or whatever you know religion i am using or or following in order to be able to find some kind of comfort some kind of strength to Get me through my, my life and my dilemmas and my challenges. Well, listen, I love the way one pastor responds to this. His name is Rick Teason. He said, You know, telling me that faith is a crutch is just, it's just too weak. Because, like, a crutch is, is something that you kind of need, it's kind of temporary, right? You know, the idea is I'll use this crutch and then I'll be, I'll be okay again. He goes, I don't need a crutch (laughs) he goes I have a mortal wound I need a radical I need a radical salvation I I need to be carried I need to be you know I need to be entirely rescued kind of like how he approaches that but then you know if you think about it the next time somebody says to you that religion all right they say religion is a crutch I, I want to challenge you to look at them and say I couldn't agree more you're right Religion is a crutch. And when they look at you and they go, huh, I thought you were religious. Look at them and say, I'm not religious, but I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, there's a big difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. You know, religion means one's search for God, right? I'm trying to get to God from my perspective. I don't have to go searching for God. He came searching for me. And he's offered me this relationship and see where that conversation will go. But you see, it's not just it's not just that some people look at you and say, well, that's just a crutch. And by the way, can, can I just say this? Um, everybody has a crutch in their life, okay? Even the atheist has a crutch. I'll, I'll show you what I mean in just a minute. But there are some people who will look at you and say, um, I wish I had your faith. Man, I wish I could believe like you. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? I have. You know, people that I've dealt with and met and uh, you know, don't just say, oh, man, I just wish I could have, you know, the kind of faith you have or you Christians have as though faith is hidden, as though faith is a genetic thing. And they, you know, they don't have it and I have it and they can't get it. Listen, all of us, all of us, atheists, those who wish we had faith, all of us have faith in something. The atheist has faith. There is no God. The person who says, oh, I wish I could have your faith has some kind of other faith. They have faith to believe that there'll be oxygen tomorrow. We all have faith that gravity exists. And everybody has crutches they're leaning on one way or another to cope with life. How are you coping with life? Who or what are you trusting? What is your center of gravity? All right, let's get back to faith again What is faith, all right? Now, one of the simple definitions you'll hear people use sometimes goes something like this. You know, faith is believing what you cannot see. Faith is believing what you cannot see. So, for instance, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, in verse 1, it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is evidence of things we cannot see. Or Jesus said in John chapter 20, he put it this way, he said, you believe because you have seen me, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Uh, He must have been thinking about you and me. Now I, I understand what those verses mean, and they're important verses. However, you have to take the subject of faith and you have to define it within the whole context of Scripture, because If you just look at those verses and walk away with this idea and then you start telling other people, especially unbelievers, this idea that faith is just blindly believing in what you cannot see, that's not good, and that's not right. We're not called to have blind faith. We're not called to just believe for the sake of believing. That turns people off. God does not expect us to act and think that way. Here's what I want to suggest to you. All right, and that is that the Bible, God's word, never calls us to believe blindly, but to have faith that comes from, look, thinking. God gave us a brain, He gave us a mind, thinking things through thoroughly. So the Bible never calls us to believe blindly, but to have faith that comes from thinking things through thoroughly. That's the expectation. I guess you could put it this way, the expectation is that you look, you listen, you learn, you investigate, you weigh out the evidence and arrive at a decision. And God has placed all kinds of evidence all around us to think and wrestle with and process with. We're not left without a witness, the Apostle Paul says, nature itself. Let alone God's word and change lives. And sometimes, you know, direct revelations from God and visions and dreams, that does happen at times. But God has, has put a lot out there and He expects us to wrestle with it and think it through so that our faith has a substance to it, has a strength to it as a result of, of that. Now, um, let's talk a, a little bit more about this whole concept of faith. In our hearts and in, and in our lives. I was uh, um, uh, reading a popular, I'll say popular hip pastor <laughs> the other day, and uh, I came across something that he said on, on his social site. And, and I'm trying to remember, it went something like this. He said, um, in the absence of answers, faith is born. In the absence of answers, faith is born. Now, I kind of agree with that. I, I, I think I know where he's coming from. That is, sometimes you, you face issues, you face things in life, and it just seems like there's no answers for what's happened or, or why things didn't happen the way you thought they should have happened. And, and you're left with feeling like, well, I guess I just have to have faith that God knows what he's doing. So I, I kind of understand, but I also kind of disagree. Because, because when you think about faith being born, that idea that faith is being born, well, will take that concept to, to mind and heart for a moment and imagine uh, or think about uh, birth in the animal kingdom, all right? Uh, in the animal kingdom, birth happens by one organism penetrating another organism. And when that penetration happens, when conception occurs, there's a multiplication of cells, right? Same thing is true with human beings. When a male and a female right, conceive, there's penetration that takes place, and there is then this exponential multiplication of cells and 9 months later there is this living baby you say where are you going with that well listen carefully faith cannot exist unless truth penetrates the mind and the leb the heart faith is the result of god's truth penetrating our minds and our hearts and alerting us and waking us up so to speak To look and listen and learn and to think and to arrive at at what God has revealed. And that is really important for you and for me to understand. I love what 1 Peter says. He goes like this. He says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Here he goes. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal, what? Living word of God now there's the living word of God like we saw in John chapter 1 Jesus and then there is the scriptures which are living they're dynamic I was talking to someone recently a new friend uh, at our church at Wooddale he was sharing with me how he came to faith and he said you know I came to faith when I started to read God's word he said I've read a lot of things but when I read God's word he said at first I didn't like it (laughs) Because he said, I couldn't get away from it. And the more I kept reading it, I just realized it made sense of life, made sense about me, and I gave my life to Christ. You know, the Bible says that God's word is, is living, it's powerful. It's like a two-edged soul that, you know, divides and gets right down into our bone. So it's that penetration of the truth that then evokes faith that comes out of our lives. I mean, John chapter 4, right? We've been there. We've been talking about the woman at the well in her interaction with Jesus. And it's in that interaction that his truth penetrates her life. And she comes up with this aha moment because of that, that he must be the Messiah. And she runs to the village and tells everybody else. Let's pick it up, Here, here it is, ready? Many Samaritans from the village believed, there's that word, in Jesus. You can't have faith without belief. Believed in Jesus because the woman had said, right? So she's now witnessing her words. He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message. There's a penetration and believe Then they said to the woman. Now we what believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard Him ourselves, now we know that He indeed is the Savior of the world. So you see what's happening? The truth is coming in, right? And belief is occurring, and their lives are being transformed and changed. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But not everyone welcomes the good news. Not everyone wants to welcome the penetration, so to speak. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has, here we go again, believed our message? So watch, faith, in fact, say it with me, even if you're alone or at one of our campuses or whatever venue, say it with me. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. So faith is born when the truth Penetrates our hearts and penetrates our lives. Now, I want to um, take just a little side uh, track for a moment, and I want those of you, especially who are parents, to listen to me. All right, because there is a battle. In fact, years ago, there's a book written about this. There is a battle for your mind and especially your kids. I know my artistry is not the best, but hang in there. All right, just just imagine for a moment, though, this. This represents, this top half represents your mind, okay? Uh, your kid's mind. Let's do it that way, okay? And the mind consists of three things. That in your mind, you have thoughts, okay? And you have ideas that are formed from those thoughts. And then oftentimes, words take on images. So we have an imagination. We have images that form in our mind. Before Genesis 3, when humanity rebelled against God, God's truth, whatever God said, is what informed humans' thoughts, ideas, and images, and everything they saw in the environment, and everything they knew about God and knew about each other, Adam and Eve, was directly related to the truth that God gave them. Then, of course, the serpent shows up. We've talked about this before, by the way. And he communicates a lie to them. He says, you don't need God to be your source of truth. You can be your own source. And so we hear a lot about that today, right? It's my truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. It's a big deal in our culture today. So now I can live life on my own terms, okay, by what I believe the truth to be. Well, that's not true, okay? None of us are born, right, and have our own worldview. None of us are born with our own thoughts about whatever. All our thinking, all our perspective, all our view is being constantly informed by the world outside of me. So think about your kids. Think about how much their minds are being influenced by teachers, by coaches, by peers. Think about how much information they get from the internet, from video games, from movies, from social media. I mean, 24-7 they are being inundated primarily with things that are not true to shape their minds and their beliefs. And a lot of what they hear and see is contrary to what God says. Now, I I took that little sidetrack because all these other things coming into them are telling them that what God says is not true. Your job and my job is to make sure that our minds are getting the truth so that all that other information coming in, so we're able to deal with it and put it out and sort through it and know, here's what I believe. You can't have strong faith if you're faith is not based in god and in his truth his word his precious word to you and to me Uh, tim keller has this this great line he says this he says look faith starts by thinking and when you lose your faith it's because you stopped thinking isn't that good Faith starts by thinking, and when you lose your faith, it's because you stop thinking. And a lot of us have stopped thinking. We're letting other people think for us, celebrities, and you know, and and um, teachers, and, and and all these other people. We just take it in, and we just say, "Okay, whatever you say, it must be true." I accept your truth. God says, "No, I want you to think." Sure, think about what they said, but think about what I have said and don't assume that you know what he has said. Don't assume you know what he has said and what he means. To walk by faith then is to stick to the truth and let that truth guide my life. Listen, it is a dangerous thing when you let your heart, your emotions, your feelings inform you. What you have, and I have to do is, we have to use the mind, the truth, to inform and shape our hearts. David does this a lot in the Psalms, like in Psalm 100 or in Psalm 42. He's talking to himself. He actually he's talking to his heart. He says this. He says, "Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad?" I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember You even from distant Mount Hermon the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. He's talking to himself. He's saying, look, heart, here's the truth. I'm not going to live by your fears, your worries. Here's the truth. Listen, faith is talking to your heart. Unbelief is listening to your heart. Faith is talking to your heart. Unbelief is listening to your heart. How are you being informed right now? Who's running your life? Your mind based on truth or your emotions, which are so fickle? Your mood, which is so up and down? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by and through the word of God. Now, let's talk about one more aspect of faith, right? Faith is a process, right, that God uses. The truth impregnates our mind, our hearts. He wants us to think and arrive at our decision. But listen, you've got to practice your faith. Or put it this way, God calls us to grow our faith by the action of our will, right? So I've gotta grow my faith by the action of my will. I have to take action with my will. In James chapter uh, two, he puts this, he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and it is useless. Now, that's what James is saying is, look, you can't just know the truth. You've got to put the truth into action. It's the only way for faith to come alive. It's the only way your faith is actually going to grow. My uh, mother-in-law, many years ago, started having some terrible ringing in her ear. And so she went to see a doctor, and they did all kinds of tests and discovered that she had a tumor in her brain. And it was uh, non-malignant, so that was good news. But it was growing rather fast, and, and... And it could kill her if they didn't get it out. But it was there, and it was difficult to get at. So right away, uh, two of her daughters, who are nurses, started researching, you know, the best way to handle this whole thing. She began, and her husband, my mother, and father-in-law began asking questions, you know, who's out there, does this kind of surgery. And after research, they finally found somebody in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who specialized in this kind of a thing. They went, they met with him. And they they just they just loved him because first of all they found out he was a follower of Christ that was huge right, and number two he had a, a just a gentle manner about him. He had extensive experience with it. He explained the entire process, the surgery that it could take a really long time because it's so intricate where the tumor is that she might lose her hearing or some facial paralysis, but that it needed to come out. Make a long story short, they collected so much data, so much information, they prayed, they thought about it, and finally decided, my mother-in-law decided, to place literally her brain in his hands. That's faith. That's faith in action. And 13 hours, nearly 13 hours later, like they got to the edge of how long you can be under, They finished the surgery, and she lost hearing in that ear, but she never had another problem again with that issue. You and I are being called to take an active step of faith and trust Christ and trust his word and begin to live out that faith. It's the only way it's going to get bigger and stronger in your life and in my life. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, all right? Let's go back to John chapter 4 because after Jesus has been in Samaria, all right, he leaves and he makes his way up to the region of Galilee and he comes to the town of Cana. Now, we've talked about Cana before. Cana is where Jesus did his first miracle in John chapter 2. So he goes back there. While he's there, there's this guy who's a government official, probably works for Herod Antipas, okay? Probably a Gentile, who walks 25 miles to Cana because he has a son who is dying. And he's exhausted every means possible to save that kid's life. And obviously he's heard about Jesus. So he goes and he seeks Jesus and he begs Jesus to come come and save and rescue his little son. And what I want to do is I want to pick up the story now as we read about it in John chapter 4. Here we go. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Now watch this. Jesus asked, and I think this question was not just for this guy, but for everybody, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met with him Uh, met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them, when did the boy begin to get better? And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he is an entire household. I love this. The whole household believed in Jesus. But I want to go back one more slide to our uh, the verse the verses before this, so we'll go backwards. I want, I want you to pay attention to something, all right? It says at the end here, it says, when Jesus told him, go back home, it says, and the man, what, believed what Jesus said and started home. In other words, when Jesus says, will you, you, know, will you ever believe without having to see a miracle or sign? He, in essence, he was saying, I'm not a magician. I'm not a traditional physician where I've got to go and see the patient, examine the patient, and prescribe. I am more than that. Look, listen, think about what I've been doing. Think about the, old, you know, the prophecies of the Old Testament. Think about what's happening around you right now. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I am God. And I want you to trust me when I speak. All I have to do is speak. G. Campbell Morgan, who is um, an old preacher I love to read, and he's passed away years ago, says this about the passage. I, I love it. He says, Jesus gave him no sign but he created an opportunity for the exercise of a faith which lacked a sign. Christ said, in effect, I will not give you a sign. I'll give you a word. (laughs) and You will get your sign after your faith operates based on that word. And so it says the man believed and went home. How about you? How about me? Will you believe and go home? Will I believe and go home? Will I trust God? That even if it doesn't work out the way I think it should work out, that He is in control. He knows what He's doing. You know, uh, over these last uh, months, I've had I've had several people ask me, and I understand why. Do you think Do you think that we're nearing the end? Do you think that? Christ is going to return soon. I, I personally hope so. What I do know is that his coming is closer today than it was yesterday. But there is a sense, as I look at what's happening in our world today, where I just, I just can't help but feel we're moving very, very much rapidly toward, toward the end. You know, one of the things that Jesus mentions in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, when he's talking about end times in part of that passage, is he says this, in Matthew 24, 11, he says, and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end will come. It's fascinating to me. That job's about done, according to missiologists, and that's why, in our legacy of hope vision, we want to help plant thirty thousand churches in northern, uh, in part of India and part of Nepal. There are three hundred thousand churches that three hundred thousand villages that still need a church. We want to take ten percent of them. We want to complete the task. Come, Lord Jesus, right? while at the same time we're nearing, saying, man, we've put the gospel everywhere, we can also say that we are in a time when deception is rampant. Inside and outside the church. We see it happening exponentially in our own, in our own country. In Luke chapter 18, verse 8, Jesus said, I tell you, he says, when the Son of Man returns how many will he find on the earth who have faith? So my my point is, Jesus kind of has this, this picture of the world toward the end being a world filled with so much deceit. Now, the world's always had deceit, okay? There's always been lies out there. But the ancient world, and up to really recent times, never had the media like we have it today, the internet, to where there's... There's practically no village, no place on earth where you can't get all the news of the world. You can't hear what everybody's thinking and saying. I go to the third world countries. I go to the backwaters and I see people out there with little satellite dishes and their cell phones. Never before has there been this mass communication on a world level, a world scale where people can be inundated with messages. And I'm telling you, those messages, very few are filled with the truth. And therefore, so much of the thinking today is not truth. And so many of the views that, uh, that are out there of the world today is not based on the truth. And faith, therefore, is wavering. Jesus says, will you Believe, I am the way, the truth. You believe that my word is the truth. And despite what's coming at you, will you be faithful to that truth until I call you home or I return? God is not asking you or me to muster up the faith from ourselves. He's saying, look, listen. Examine, think, exercise your faith and see that it's real. Let's pray. Father, thank you for providing us faith, this beautiful relationship with you, not meant to be blind trust, but belief in the truth already given And Lord, for those of us who are struggling in our faith, strengthen us this day. Drive us back to your word, to read, to study, to think. And for those, Lord, who might be listening that just right now struggle to believe that you exist or that your word is true, Lord, would you touch their heart with the truth? Would you speak into their lives? Would you give them, help them to see that indeed you are who you claim to be? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, I'll see you next weekend.